Are you ready to journey to Rockville, Dakota to observe the near future of the United States of North America? It's a mind forever voyaging this week on the Upper Memory Block podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Greetings and welcome to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. I'm your guest host, Chris Olson, and I'm here to talk to you today about a game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. First and foremost, I want to congratulate Joe and family on the new edition. From one dad to another, I can say fatherhood is truly awesome. I think I can speak for everyone in wishing you guys the very best and affirming the fact that your little one will have a healthy appreciation for all things IBM PC and MS-DOS. So who the heck am I and... What am I doing here? Well, my story is not unique by any means, but I started with computers at a very young age in the early 1980s and would eventually join the MS-DOS world with a 286 machine in 1990. I enjoyed programming and playing games of all types then and still do today, but I can say with certainty that many of my best and most formative computer-related memories came from this era. Personally, I'm more of a content consumer than creator, but that said, I have appeared on a few aviation, and computer-related podcasts in the past. Enough about me, though. Joe asked for a few volunteers to provide guest episodes to bridge the gap in the production schedule. Akago and Father Beast covered the Neverhood and Sid Meier's colonization, respectively. Well done, gentlemen. And additional guest shows are in the works as we speak. Before I dive in, I would like to say a tremendous thanks to Joe for the opportunity to host here. This is my first time going solo, so to speak, and I'll do my level best to honor the form and style of the UMB cast. For those of you scoring along at home, the podcast was originally recorded on location in El Salvador, Central America, and Dallas, Texas, while the finishing touches were performed in the lovely city of San Diego, California. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... A Mind Forever Voyaging takes us into new territory, the world of the text adventure. Because this is the first game of this type to be covered in the podcast, let's take a brief minute to discuss genre. Text adventures come in many different shapes and sizes, but generally share these two main components, textual descriptions of the gameplay world and typed instructions from the player. Commands like get lamp or go north are handled by the game's parser, just as they are in many of the early Sierra adventures that contained one. As with all parser-based games, it is quite possible to type a command that won't be recognized for one reason or another, and while potentially frustrating, this particular game does a much better job of handling both input and response when compared to other text adventures of the time, more than exactly why in tech focus. It's also worth noting that the descriptive elements vary widely in the amount of detail provided, but will almost always include mention of entry and exit points. A large building lies to the south, the highway continues west, to aid the player as they navigate through the game world. Most text adventures have a lot in common with their graphical counterparts. Quests, puzzles, multiple endings, linear and non-linear progressions. Text adventures also carry the sometimes deserved reputation of being punishingly difficult, with puzzles that confounded players for weeks or months at a time. A Mind Forever Voyaging bucks this trend, allowing the player to experience a significant portion of the game before encountering a puzzle, one of the game's most unique and enduring qualities. On to the story. 
The year is 2031, and the world is on the brink of chaos. The economy of the United States of North America has been stagnant for decades. Crackpot religions are springing up all over the place. Crime and urban decay are rampant. Schools have become violent, chaotic places ill-suited for educating children. Today's youth frequently use joy booths to tune out the world, leading in the extreme case to joy booth suicide, where a psychological addict wastes away in his or her private nirvana. The global situation is even grimmer. The calculation of the third world has almost reached its limit, causing extreme overpopulation and poverty. This has created a climate ripe for East Bloc adventurism, exploiting instability and fanning the numerous flashpoints around the globe. The superpower race to build an impenetrable missile defense has ended in a tie, with the foreseeable but unforeseen result that an even more dangerous arms race has begun, a race to build miniature nuclear weapons, some as small as a cigarette pack, and smuggle them into enemy cities, a race which threatens to turn the USNA into a giant police state. Things are bad, and it appears that they can only get worse. So when Senator Richard Ryder, along with a small group of leaders from government, business, and the universities, announced the plan for renewed national purpose, everyone is only too willing to embrace it. Only one thing stands between the plan and its adoption, a test of its validity. That's why you have been awakened from your simulated life and had your true nature revealed to you several years ahead of schedule. You have been chosen to use your unique abilities to enter a simulation of the future, based on the tenets of the plan, in order to check its effectiveness. The eyes of the world are on you. Prism, my name is Abraham Perlman. It's all true, I'm afraid. You are a computer, and your life was merely a simulation whose purpose was to instill you with intelligence and self-awareness. Think about everything you learned in that AI course you took. You are the first of a new breed, the thinking machine. Join me, and I will lead you along the road toward your new existence. Imagine yourself in the same circumstance. You have spent 20 years living a normal, unsuspecting life. You are you. Then suddenly, one day, the universe around you is torn away, and you learn that your whole life has been a charade, a carefully calculated scientific experiment. Perhaps at this very moment you are a normal human being, sitting in some comfortable armchair reading this story. But perhaps you are not. Imagine the shock. Imagine the terror. Soon I embark on a strange mission, venturing into the future yet without the slightest hint of my own fate. Perhaps this account will someday be read by future generations of humans, maybe even future generations of sentient machines. You will know whether the world I help build is a success or a failure. Either way, understand that my limitations were, if not human, at least mortal. I am Prism, and that is my story. You are listening to the A more detailed version of Perry's backstory is contained in the Dakota Online Magazine, one of the physical items that's included in the game package. I've just read out the end section of the article, but a full reading will definitely enhance your understanding of the unique set of circumstances that befall Perry. Perlman refers to Dr. Abraham Perlman, the lead scientist on the PRISM project, and thus someone with whom you'll interact with quite a bit throughout the game. Your awakening into the stark and frankly somewhat terrifying reality of identity has happened sooner than planned, coincident with the rise of Senator Ryder and his plan for renewed national purpose. All is definitely not well in the USNA or the world, and Ryder's solution spells out sweeping and specific actions to be taken, including 
cutting tax rates by 50%, vigorous prosecution of tax evasion, decentralization of federal responsibilities, deregulation of all major industries, reinstatement of the military draft, emphasis on fundamentals and traditional values in education, mandatory conscription for troublemakers and criminals, a strict USNA first trade policy, termination of aid to nations that are not pro-USNA, cutbacks on all types of bureaucracy, such as registering cars, guns, etc., and lastly, termination of government subsidies to outmoded industries. The plan also calls for two amendments to the USNA's constitution that seek to increase the powers of the executive branch and further increase the term of the office of the president to eight years. As PRISM, you'll enter a real-time simulation of the future, where all tenets of Rider's plan have been implemented, and your experiences there, good, bad, or indifferent, will be recorded and analyzed by Perlman and his team. A Mind Forever Voyaging is an Infocom game released in 1985, and it followed the well-established precedent of including feelies in the game package. This topic was discussed at length by Joe and the venerable Patreon Hangout folks in episode 85, but here the awareness of the included items is important to the overall game experience. The box included a decoder wheel for copy protection purposes, a printed copy of Dakota Online Magazine, featuring an article about Perry Sim and his actual identity as Prism, an advertisement presented by the Joy Booth Manufacturers of North America, which stated, Joy Booths are not the problem, a tourist map of Rockville, a ballpoint pen from Quad Mutual Insurance, and lastly, the manual. The printed material included here is meticulously designed and well-written. As I mentioned earlier, it provides backstory that really fletches out Perry's childhood in the early stages of the PRISM project. They illustrate one of the hallmarks of Infocom's products, relentless attention to detail and extraordinary effort to link the player to the world and game environment. You hear a message coming over the official communication line. Prism, Perlman here. The psych tests have all checked out at 100%, which means that you've recovered from the uh, awakening without any trauma or serious effects. We'll be ready to begin the simulation soon. By the way, your piece is in the current issue of Dakota Online. You have entered communications mode. The following locations are equipped with communications outlets. Prism Project Control Center, Research Center Rooftop, Dr. Perlman's Office, Prism Facility Cafeteria, Maintenance Corps, and World News Network Feed. As the player, you are free to explore any and all of the locations mentioned here, but to get things moving, you will eventually head to the office of Dr. Abraham Perlman, the lead scientist on the PRISM project, which ultimately leads you to your first foray into simulation mode. Perlman to PRISM. The programming team has finished entering its parameters for the plan. This is it. You can enter simulation mode at any time. The social science group has come up with a list of things to record, eating a meal in a restaurant, talking to a government official, visiting a power generating facility, reading a newspaper, riding some form of public transportation, attending a court in session, talking to a church official, going to a movie, and visiting your own home or living quarters. So, looks like we as the player have our marching orders, so to speak. After a quick consultation with the decoder wheel, you arrive in Rockville, 2041, 10 years in the future. Kennedy Park. This is a small downtown park with gates leading northeast, southeast, and southwest. There is a sprawling, freeform water pool surrounding a statue of John F. Kennedy in the center of the park. And with that, we're off and running, or perhaps walking at a slightly brisk pace. While you have your task list of recordings to attain, exploration of Rockville and the manner in which you do so is completely up to you. 
a Mind Forever Voyaging does display a date and time of day, and it could potentially prevent you from completing a task or visiting a location. However, you aren't limited in the number of times you can enter and exit simulation mode. Subsequent re-entries reset the starting time to morning. Mapping is essential and was expected behavior for players of the time. The map that's included with the feelies is a good starting point, but lacks detail in many areas. Saving your game once in a while is advisable, too. Death can find you in the game, but it's not exceedingly common. The distinction between dying and forcibly exiting simulation mode is a point that presents itself at different times during gameplay, but save scumming is definitely not necessary. Other modes you can utilize during the game include library mode for referencing various kinds of documents, sleep mode where you mimic a rest cycle, and interface mode, which allows for a low-level or direct connection to many of the physical systems present in the lab and elsewhere. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... A Mind Forever Voyaging released August 14, 1985. To run it, you needed an IBM PC, PC Junior, XT, or AT with DOS 2.0 or higher. 128K of system RAM was also required. Notably absent here, any mention of a graphics card. At first glance, these specs seem fairly pedestrian, even for 85. Didn't all IBM PCs ship with at least 128K of memory? Amazingly, no. The stout and powerful IBM 5150, for example, could be configured with anywhere from 64 to 256K of RAM. And while it would have been rare to find one running with 64K and 85, there were plenty of Apple, Atari, and Commodore systems present without the requisite 128K. Unfortunately, due to the memory requirement, many of these computers were excluded from running the game, which instead targeted the Atari ST, Macintosh, Amiga, Commodore 128, Apple II, and of course, MS-DOS. A Mind Forever Voyaging was the first Infocom game to use the Interactive Fiction or IF Plus engine, which allowed for a much larger dictionary of words and phrases than its predecessors, Planetfall, Zork, etc. The process of actually creating the code was done in a truly ingenious way, and according to Infocom programmers of the time, gave them an advantage over their competitors. Rather than creating discrete versions of games for each and every computer platform, Infocom rented time on a deck mainframe and did the bulk of the game development there, moving the games to the respective platforms afterwards. This was made possible by the Z-Machine, Z for Zork there, an early form of an in-house virtual machine technology. Game code was put into a common file format called Z-Code, while machine-specific interpreters read the Z-code files and ran the games. This solved a tremendous problem in game design and implementation of the time, supporting multiple platforms, and allowed Infocom to release their games for many of the different computer types simultaneously. The IF Plus engine expanded the intelligence of the parser to allow for more complex interactions. Instead of simply typing talk to Perlman, for example, you can type a command in the form of a sentence, as in, Perlman listened to the recording. Parser interactions always seemed a bit clunky, but the new engine represented a big step forward from Infocom's prior games. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... Dev Story Time. Let's go back a few years before this game's release to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Boston, circa 1977. Their very first work of interactive fiction, Colossal Cave Adventure, or just Adventure as it's often called, had swept through computer science departments across the country, and MIT was no exception. A small group of students that included Tim Anderson, Mark Blank, and Dave Lebling worked together and managed to solve the game. Soon after, they were inspired to create their own. One of Adventure's authors, Don Woods, hailed from Stanford, MIT's biggest rival, giving the group plenty of motivation to create something that truly outclassed their peers from the West Coast. This game would, of course, eventually become Zork. 
1979, Alveza, an MIT computer science department administrator, formed Infocom, bringing many of the Zork programmers with him. A Mind Forever Voyaging is the work of Steve Moretzky. He also attended MIT, graduating in 1979, but with a Bachelor of Science in Construction Management. Moretzky worked in his degree field for a few years, and during this time he had a roommate, Mike Dornbrook. Mike happened to be the one and only game tester for Infocom, and Steve took an interest in his work, often looking over Mike's shoulder as he tested early titles on their dining room table. Moretzky would eventually join Infocom in 1981 as a tester, rising through the ranks quickly. He was offered his own game project the following year, which became Planetfall, which released in 1983 to rave reviews. Two more games would precede A Mind Forever Voyaging, Sorcerer in 1984, and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, a collaborative effort with Douglas Adams for which Moretzky is arguably most well known. The project with Adams was so challenging at times that its completion earned Moretzky the opportunity to embark on his passion project, a game that broke many of the long-held traditions of prior titles and focused instead on story. Called Prism During Development, the eventual title borrows from William Wordsworth's Prelude, Book 3, read out here. The anti-chapel where the statue stood, of Newton with his prism and silent face. The marble index of a mind forever voyaging through strange seas of thought alone. Initial design work began in 1984, spurred by the U.S. presidential election. The incumbent candidate, Ronald Reagan, achieved a landslide victory, winning 49 out of 50 states. In an interview, Moretzky spoke about the immersive and all-consuming nature of interactive fiction with regard to difficult or complex puzzles and observed that players continued to think about the game long after they stopped playing for the day and wanted to harness this quality in a different way. His words here. I thought about how other media were constantly trying to get messages across, change people's thinking. It seemed to me that interactive fiction could be an even more powerful medium for doing that. So that was my mission. I wanted to show people what a warmongering, Christian right-pandering, environment-trashing, rights-trampling asshole Reagan was. And of course, the game was so successful that we've never had another president like that. Moretzky's approach was, quite certainly, a polemic one. The talking points of Richard Ryder's plan strongly mirror the Republican platform of the Reagan era, and that's by design. The subject matter did raise an eyebrow or two with Infocom's upper management, but the game was ultimately supported and encouraged nonetheless. His approach also included a bold move away from puzzles, allowing the player to explore the world in a manner that simply hadn't been tried before. Without puzzles, though, it would be even more incumbent to provide an interesting story and interface that lent itself to somewhat open-ended exploration. This was a big risk. Infocom customers often sought their games because they were so difficult. How would they respond? The scope of A Mind Forever Voyaging was quite large, larger than anything they had done since Zork, which had to be broken into four parts in order to move it from mainframes to personal computers of the time. The city map of Rockville is expansive in and of itself, bustling with activity and filled with detail. Creating five discrete versions of Rockville, though, with changes, both subtle and not, to the various locations as a player progresses further into the future? Well, that would have been nearly impossible even with the new IF Plus version of the Interpreter. As a long-standing tribute to 8-bit optimization methods, Infocom's MIT-slash-computer science roots, and sheer will, the game clocked in with 10 bytes to spare in its final build. 10 bytes! For comparison's sake, one singular ASCII character is one byte. A Mind Forever Voyaging released to positive reviews, receiving praise for the exploratory, story-driven gameplay. Despite this, sales were disappointing, falling well short of projections. Surprisingly, the controversial nature of the game's politics didn't garner a great deal of attention either. Infocom would soon fall on financial hard times, culminating with its sale to Activision in 1986. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block 
Before I delve into whether this game holds up today, I want to take a brief moment to speak on a few topics that don't really fit into the normal construct of the show. A lot has been written about A Mind Forever Voyaging. It is heralded as one of the cornerstones of early interactive fiction, and often cited by former and current game developers as one of the games that informed, inspired, and influenced everything from their choice in careers to the games on which they would work. Why did I choose this one to cover? It was and continues to be a favorite of mine. I first encountered the game in 1987 on the family Apple II GS and revisited often, and perhaps that's a valid reason. I'm going against the grain a bit in a personal sense, given my occupation and propensity for anything and everything related to aviation, but I could apply that logic to any number of games from plenty of different genres. In the snippet from Moretzky's interview that I quoted earlier, he mentioned his desire to get his message across, to demonstrate through interactive fiction that the overwhelming re-election of Ronald Reagan could lead to disastrous consequences for the country. The merits of Moretzky's motivation could be debated ad nauseum, but the result, the game itself, the story, characters, simulations, and interactions are haunting and honest, powerful and emotional. Perry's in-game relationships with Jill, his wife, and Mitchell, their son, are written with such care and realism that I still buy in and really feel, even though I've been through the game a dozen times over the years. The freedom to explore Rockville, especially early in the game, is a truly wonderful experience. Rockville feels like a big city. You can progress through the game and skip certain locations entirely, or you can travel to every corner and soak up as much detail as the game can provide. The only other game in my library that created a similar lasting impression is Gone Home, Brilliantly accomplished. Rich visuals, music, sound design, and voice acting, all simply top-notch. Well, A Mind Forever Voyaging did it with a blue screen of text and a blinking cursor. Okay, does this game hold up today? The answer, as you might have guessed, is an overwhelming yes. Text adventures are a bit of a tough sell, even for those of us who regularly indulge in vintage computing and older games. A Mind Forever Voyaging is an excellent entry point into the genre, and for me, is appealing for reasons that extend beyond gameplay. As a work inspired by the current events of the time, looking back through the lens of history makes it ultimately possible to look forward into our near-term future. And for those of us who presently reside in the United States, well, that's a subject for a completely different podcast. Even if you never pick up another text adventure, play this one. There are a few quirks to mention. It's easy to forget to activate your recorder, especially early on, and you can't record anything retroactively. If you miss the event, you'll have to exit simulation mode and start over, remembering to type record on at the appropriate time. The game's writing is certainly one of its strengths, but it does present a core political message that might not resonate with everyone. Personally, I don't feel the polemic approach takes anything away from the enjoyment of the game, but it can tend towards heavy-handedness at times. Where can you buy a mine forever voyaging today? Well, this is a bit of a good news-bad news situation. Good news first, you can get it, and many other Infocom classics, on the App Store with the Lost Treasures of Infocom app. The app itself is free, and the games are made available through in-app transactions. All of the box material is faithfully reproduced with solid UI and an overall good experience. If you want to purchase the game to play in an actual computer, unfortunately, eBay and the various avenues for purchasing box games are your only option at this point. Most of those aforementioned Infocom games are available for in-browser gameplay via the MS-DOS software collection at the Internet Archive. A Mind Forever Voyaging isn't available there yet, but should be soon. And rumor has it that your favorite search engine might be a good place to go for this one as well. 
I really had a ball researching a mind forever voyaging and a tremendously detailed account of the design process, including internal memos, feedback from beta testers, notes, graphs, and maps is available via the Infocom cabinet on the Internet Archive. The collection contains documents on many other Infocom games and is available thanks to Jason Scott, who also created Get Lamp, a wonderful documentary about text adventures and interactive fiction. Many Infocom employees, including Steve Moretzky, are prominently featured throughout. The musical selections heard also come from the Get Lamp soundtrack, written and performed by Tony Longworth and Flesh Resonance. Lastly, the Digital Antiquarian website contains an extensive history of interactive fiction and infocom. All of these links will be available, as always, in the show notes. That does it for this week. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks again to Joe for allowing me to host and cover one of my all-time favorites from long ago. Thanks to Rick Moyer for the outstanding audio work, available at moyermultimedia.com. Follow me personally at twitter.com slash cgoapps. Grab the show notes for this and all episodes at umbcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash umbshow. And Joe personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. You can also find the show on YouTube at youtube.com slash umbcast. Write feedback to podcast at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and stream the show live on Stitcher Radio. Join us for the next episode, whatever that happens to be, here in the Upper Memory Block. Battle control terminated. <laughs>
listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastriani. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join the